I did not strive for financial independence. It was not a topic I was thinking about. I knew if I got one property a year for the next decade, that I would be better off when I was 65. You're listening to Investing for Good, a show that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. And now, here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, Julie, how's it going? Hey, not too bad. How's it going with you? Oh, I meant to ask you, how's that flip going that you guys you, you guys are working on? Oh, yeah. You know what? That It's perfect timing because it's just about to close this week. Can you believe it? No. Um, yeah. How long so were you guys working, working on it? Yeah, we've been working on it. So my husband and I, we picked up this flip and it's sort of a creative creative deal because we never bought it. We never set out to do a flip. Mm -hmm. Uh, But my husband, who's a realtor, he had this seller he was working with um, who lives out of state. And, you know, this was a sort of a property that needed a little bit of love. Uh He wanted to sell it, but he also wanted to renovate it. But, you know, Mm -hmm. he's living far away and he's like, I don't know if I can do it. Yeah. Um, And then he was like, why don't you do it? Right. (laughs) My husband, Joe, was like, oh, yeah, I guess I could do it. You know, maybe we could partner together. So that's how that came about. So we never owned the property, but we and the seller put in some money for the renovations. Um, That's been going on over the last, gosh, three months, maybe four months now. Mm -hmm. And our older son, Kai, has invested um, some of his savings into the flip with us. So he's about to get a payday, which is exciting. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's closing this week. Um, The market has turned a little bit here in the Bay Area since we first got into it. So it's a little bit softer now, but we're still going to make a good return on it. Nice. That's what I love so much about real estate is the ability to be so creative. And like, mm-hmm. it's not just like, nope, sorry, cut and dry. You have a problem. I can't help you solve it. Right. It's like, here is this investor from out of state who has a problem. And in real estate, you can get so flexible and creative where everybody wins and gets to do kind of like what they're good at and what they're capable of doing. And and um, it's kind of a win for everyone. So that's super exciting. And I love that you guys brought Kai into that so that he can, at seven years old, realize the benefits of you know investing in real estate. I know you guys took him there too. So he actually got to touch and feel it, which I think is such an important process of learning um, about real estate too. So that's so awesome. Cool. Well, I'm excited. Now we just got to talk him off the ledge of all the Pokemon cards he's going to buy with his yeah. returns. <laughs> <laughs> we'll teach him to invest the money first and syndication, then use that, his distributions to buy the Pokemon cards. And then there we go. The, you know, the, what do they call that? The infinite returns thing. Yes. Yes. Well, speaking of flips and rental properties, we've got a great guest on today, Michael Zuber, the author of the book, One Rental at a Time. He also has a very active YouTube channel of the same name. And Michael's goal is to help a thousand people understand the power of rental properties. And he just got some crazy good content over there. Oh yeah. No, he's always posting on Facebook about different strategies and updates, another, you know, wealth of information. Like he just has so much inside of him that he happily shares with everybody out there. And he just is so passionate about it. That's the thing I can, I really get from him is he's so passionate. And I love in the interview where he talks about, 
you know, did he have this goal of becoming financially independent, which I think is such a big outlandish goal for so many people. And he said, no, I never started out that way. It was just this idea of if I have one or two, that's great, but you know, more is better, right? Like more rental properties is better. And what is, what did he say he's at like now, like at over 200 rental properties or something like that, something crazy like that, Mm -hmm. which (laughs) is so crazy, but was such a good interview to learn how somebody goes from like, you know, one or two rental properties to over 200 and what it really takes mindset wise to get there. Yeah. And you can really tell through this interview how passionate Michael is about giving back. He drops so many good nuggets. So you're going to love this episode. Here it is, Michael Zuber of One Rental at a Time. Michael, how are you? I'm doing very good, Annie. Thank you for the invitation. This should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I agree. Well, through One Rental at a Time, you've really created a system to help inspire others and make it possible for them to reach financial freedom. And what I love about this is that you didn't just create some random system. You actually used this system to achieve financial freedom yourself. And in just 15 years, when it takes most people four decades or more. So I want to start by rewinding the clock back a bit. Before you had achieved financial freedom, back before you even set out to become financially free, because financial freedom isn't a concept that's even on most people's radar. So when you were growing up, did you just you know, have lots of relatives who were walking around, you know, retired in their 30s and 40s. And you thought, you know what, someday I'm going to do that too. I'm going to retire early too. (laughs) I've never had that question before. That's, that's, that's pretty good. No is the short answer. You know, I grew up in a family where high school graduation was the thing to be aspired to. Both of my parents were in the military. That's where they met. Uh, I was actually born on a military base. And what I now call the 40-40 life, right? Work 40 hours for 40 years was, was kind of success in my family. And I mean like the entire family. Parents, cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents. No one other than myself has a college degree and, and no one has an advanced college degree such as myself. And so I'm, I'm like the oddball in my family. And really what that boils down to is one of my biggest memories or earliest memories. My, my, my memory is terrible, but one of the ones that I can still hold on to, I was, I was 10 or 11. And I remember finding a dime in my household. And I remember feeling rich, which is so sad. It's just so sad. And that, that just tells you how much money was a problem in my family. If I'm a 10 or 11 year old and I'm finding a dime and thinking I'm rich because money was a huge stressor. My father was the one, when he, when he was working, he was the one bringing in the money and frankly spending it all. Uh, my mom was left to suffer and stress and stretch a dollar and money was a problem. And I wasn't going to let that be my problem and my family's problem. So I've been working my tail off since I was 12, right? Working under the table because you can't get a job at, at 12. You know, I've had at least one job up until I was 45. And, and for lots of years, I had two or three jobs. So um, I, I know how to hustle. And so then, okay, so you're working from the time you're 12. What are you doing at that point? And then what led you then? What did you study in college? And then what ultimately led you to that point where you said, okay, I'm going to go on this path, however hard it is, to become financially free? 
so I started off, I worked at a dry cleaners, total cash business, uh, again, pressing shirts with all those chemicals. I'm sure I took years off my life from that <laughs> horrible. Then I did the traditional fast food as soon as I can get a work permit. Uh, ultimately, the one of the changes I made is I went to Sears and Roebuck uh, and I sold washers and dryers full commission as a teenager, which really introduced me to people and networking and knowing your craft and getting better and pressure. Right, because you were you were always a month away from being fired if you didn't deliver your numbers. And oh, by the way, the commission checks were legit. Right, I was making ten to twelve points on a washer and dryer, and I was making twenty grand a year as a senior in high school. And you know, so uh, you know, with with relatively no bills, right? So uh, mm-hmm. you know, I was doing okay. So I I've been chasing commission, and then I go to college because again, for me, for whatever reason, college. I knew having a high school diploma, watching my family and cousins grow up was not enough for me, right? At the time, so you gotta remember this is like 90 to 92. I'm going, this, is, this isn't it, right? Making 28 grand a year or 32K a year, whatever it was is not what I want, not what I aspire to. So college was the unlock. I had to pay for it. So of course I went to junior college first, ultimately transferred to Santa Clara. I studied accounting. Why? Because I didn't know any better, right? Nobody in my family went to college, but I figured if you studied accounting, you learn money. I mean, that was, that was the extent of my thinking. And then uh, ultimately got an MBA uh, while working in the evenings and then working full-time because again, why? I talked to the CFO of one of my first employers and I said, how do I get your job? And he said, well, you got to you know, learn some manners first because you know, I asked him kind of <laughs> point blank. And uh, then he said, you had to get an MBA. So you know, that's what I did. And then everything changed on my 30th birthday. So I already have an advanced degree, already raising a daughter, uh, making six figures a year now, and I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad on my 30th birthday. And it fundamentally changed my life because until that point, I thought I was the boss. I thought I had figured it out. I was making six figures a year. I made twice as much as my parents did at 30. And I thought I was living the dream. And then Rich Dad, Poor Dad comes, slaps me in the face going, <laughs> oh my God, I'm, I'm signing up to do this forever. Are you kidding me? I can't, you know, I live in a world where it's 90 day pressure and the quotas always go up and the accounts go down and ah, I can't do it. So that's where it started for me. I remember their stories about their condos. Uh, you know, there was one in Hawaii, one in Portland. It's like, oh my God, they're getting 50 bucks a month. That's good. I, I could do that. And then the one rental at a time was born. I, I did not strive for financial independence. It was not a topic I was thinking about. I knew if I got one property a year for the next decade, that I would be better off when I was 65. That was the extent of my thinking. It wasn't a system, a plan. It was, I'm going to get one a year. I'm going to first lower my expenses because I'm very big now on need versus want. So while I was making six figures a year, I wasn't saving anything, didn't have anything. So we just, you know, we, we dropped our expenses 10% and then 20%, ultimately getting down to 50% of our income. So we could buy assets. And that's what we did. We bought a house and then we bought another and we bought another. And it, I wish I could sit here and tell you I had this grand vision of a 15-year journey to financial independence. That would be a lie and I don't do that. I just wanted to get 10 houses, right? If I could get to 10, I thought I'd be okay at 60 or 65. That's amazing. So tell us a little bit more about like how you, how did, how were you introduced to real estate? Like, because you, you had this great job, you're making six figures, and then you just decided that real estate was a good opportunity? Or how did you, because I think, I think for a lot of people, real estate 
is they don't even it's not even on their radar. And if it is, it's just like as a primary home, right? Like right. So you have to go out there, buy your first primary home, and that's how you build your wealth. So how did you even get to the point of thinking like, okay, rental properties is where I need to be, cash flow, and just this idea of like one rental property per year? What how did you get to that point? Well, I'm, I'm a, I don't overcomplicate things. Sometimes it's a curse. Sometimes it's a blessing. And in this case, it was certainly a blessing. I knew that if one rental at a time worked, right, some is good, more is better. Mm-hmm. And as long as I could keep my expenses down and get on that track of just adding one a year, that was the grand plan, right? One a year that I knew I would be better off in the future. What's really different with me at that time versus others I talked to today is they're looking for the cash flow from those first rental or second or third rental to really be meaningful. And it's hard with rentals. That's why it's not sexy, right? That's why multifamily is sexy. That is why flipping is sexy. That's why wholesaling is sexy because you can have at least monthly changing money, right? I was making 50 or $100 a month, which maybe paid my cable bill, maybe paid my phone, but it wasn't, I couldn't retire, right? But that wasn't my goal, right? I wanted to hold these things for decades. I was the never sell guy, right? Once I got it, I wasn't going to sell. And that was it. And it really was the rich dad. It was that simple logic. You know, I'm an accountant and an MBA grad, so I can run a spreadsheet. And I knew that if I could figure out a way to leverage my cash, I, I would be better off. And that, that was, I never did like a 20 year roadmap or any of that. It was just, what's the next one? Can the next deal be better than the last deal? And can the next one be better than that one? Right. And, and that was, that was the goal. So t- how many properties do you have now? Because I think I the last time I heard it was like 150 or something crazy like that. Yeah, we're, we're almost, at, almost at 200. Oh my gosh, that is and so I, and they're And they're doors, just to be clear, because some are okay. apartment buildings. Oh, um, okay, gotcha, gotcha. So how do you go from, and this is because I, I started off single family homes, smaller duplexes, and then I got into maybe like three to five and I was like, okay, I'm done with this and I'm not going to do any more of this. I need to scale and go bigger, farther, faster, hence multifamily. Yeah. So how do you go from, you know, this goal of, you know, one per year yeah. to 150 or 200 within the last 15 years? Like how, how do you even... Yeah. So there's, there's, there's really two pivots in our journey. So again, so we're about six years in. So I started in like, Oh, three. So maybe it's five years. So Oh, eight comes. Right. And that's one of the interesting things about our story. Cause again, we started before the crash. Lots of people we talked to started after the crash, right? We started before. So we were, frankly, we, we could have been crushed like so many others, but we weren't because of this one point. So we've got six properties now. I think it's five houses in one duplex. And I'm shopping for the next one because that's what I do every year. And I'm looking at these houses going, what the heck? Right? I'm looking at a house that's like mirror image of the first one we bought. So the first one we bought was 107. It rented for 1200. We put 20% down the cash flow just fine. I'm looking at a mirror house just down the road for $263,000 still rents for 1200. And no matter how much I beat up my Excel spreadsheet, I can't make that thing cash flow. So I'm like, honey, what do we do? We could go out of state, which really was unattractive to me because I'm a control freak. I like to be able to see my stuff. The biggest risk in my business is building a team because we fired the first five property managers we had. So wasn't excited about that. And I went to a real estate meetup um, like all of us do. And there was a gentleman there that talked about apartments. And I'm like, Again, I know nothing, right? You remember my family, right? A bunch of high school graduates, nobody talks money, right? You you make 20 grand a year and you're a success. And I immediately think, 
I can't buy an apartment. I'm not a billionaire. Right? I don't know what's going on. And I remember him tapping me on the shoulder, like giving me a little hug. Oh, that's cute. Oh, that's so cute. I was like, what? What are you doing, old man? What the heck, right? What are you just, just respecting me for? Yeah. And he goes, well, you know, you could do five to 10 units. You, sh- you should go look. And I'm like, all right, I'll go look. I mean, I, I don't know. I never looked, right? I don't know. So sure enough, we find a five unit building, all one bedroom, one bath that we bought for 223. And so what we did is we 1031 exchanged all six of those properties we had. We call it the time we went from eight to 80. So we went from eight doors to 80 units, no new capital, leveraged the 1031 exchange entirely. And we were out of houses and duplexes about two months before the crash happened. We were sitting in apartment buildings. So we, and this is in California? Yes, yes, absolutely. Fre- Fresno, California. So where were the single family homes? Like, cause I'm trying to think, like, I feel like you only do that when you cash out in California and then you switch into out of state, right? Like that's everybody's mentality is you got to go out of state to trade for that many doors. So where were the single family homes? Also Fresno. in Fresno? Or yeah, no? my entire, I live, I, I, I have a saying, live where you want, but invest where the numbers make sense. For me, living in the Bay Area has always been home and we invest in only Fresno, California. Okay. Was that 80 unit, uh, like, was it a deep value add? Was it a heavy? Well, it was lots of, so again, it was a five unit, a 10, a 13, an 18, a 15, right? So they were, no, they were, I guess you would call them B properties today, some value add, but not not what people are calling them value add today. They cash flowed the day I got them. We moved hundreds of thousands of dollars in equity because again, you could say we got lucky, but again, we got in the game, right? That first house we bought for 100 was suddenly worth 260 three or whatever it was. So we had about 180K in equity. We moved portions of that to the five unit. We still had 90 grand left. So we bought a 10 unit building with that and it just, it just kept rolling. So. And then how did you survive the, the, the crash? So you got this, you got the, all these properties because this is a story. I, I love talking to people who got involved before the crash. I feel like, like you said, most people we talk to are post-crash investors. So how did you survive? What were the things that you feel like saved you? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people who are listening who want to know. They, they ask all the time, timing, it's such a bad time to buy. So you were doing this. We Theoretically, if the crash comes tomorrow, you were doing this like you know, 10, 15 years ago. So tell us about that. So again, so first key point is I had a metric to watch for unaffordability, right? So it's called the affordability index. It's a very, very single family home metric. It doesn't apply to multifamily. But basically it says what portion of the population can buy the average home with the average income. And in my market, right, when I was buying back in 03, it was over 50%. So assuming you had credit, half of them could have qualified to buy a single family home. At the peak of the crash, it was 13 Oh right. So you went from oh. one in two to basically one in eight. Okay. And, and that was, it's an unhealthy market when you go back and look at statistics, right? When it gets below 20, you kind of get funny financing and all of that. So we saw this coming and got out. So we didn't own a single family home when the crash happened. So that's the first thing. Second is we had apartments. They were all financed. They all had, you know, five to seven years before the interest rate would adjust, right? Because that's what happens with commercial financing. And yeah, sure, our net worth went down because everything went down. But I don't, I don't pay my bills with my net worth, right? I pay it with my income statement. And we were, we were, you know, we went from cash flowing probably twelve hundred bucks a month with eight houses or eight doors, and we were well over four grand with eighty units every month. So our cash flow exploded. Uh, our net worth took a hit, but I don't care. I, I'm not really a 
person that runs around and talks about my net worth. Right. So, so you're saying the, basically that people in the crash, people needed to rent because they couldn't afford yeah. to buy. And that was the like saving grace. Like just the fact that more, more renters were out there and where were they going to live? They're living in, in the properties that you had purchased. Rents went up. Rents went up during the crash. Occupancy went up. Crazy. We That's were apartments crazy. were the place to be uh, back in 08, 09 and, and 10. I love that. I love that story right there because I think it's so important for a lot of people to hear that uh, mm-hmm. because I think there's a lot of fear going on right now about you know where we are in the market cycle. So thank you for, for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, of course. And before we leave this story, I just want to ask, you know, when you were making that pivot from single family homes to these multifamily homes, what gave you the confidence to do that? I mean, a single family home, like most of us get it. It's like one tenant yeah. and you get one check and then, you know, you have one water heater and one HVAC, but then you're going to five units, 10 units, 13 units. That's a lot to handle. How did you make that shift? Yeah. So a couple of things, if I hadn't said it already, I, my mistake, I've had a property manager since day one. Um, so we, and, and frankly, we, uh, the hardest thing to do as a buy and hold out of area investor, which I am, is find that. So we actually fired the first five we had. Uh, but by, by that point, we had a property management team in place that we've trusted and been with the last decade. So shout out to them. So that's the first thing. So I don't want anybody to think that I was doing property management from two and a half hours away because that would be a mistake. Uh, but really what happened is the first five years is we got comfortable being a landlord. Because you're right. I only knew houses. Why did I buy a three-bedroom, two-bath house? Because that's what I grew up in. That's all I knew. But when I, that little that guy tapped me on the shoulder, right, and gave me that big, you know, like look at apartments, I'm like, well, you know what? Does it really matter to me if it's a 600 square foot one bedroom, one bath versus a 1250 square foot three two? Not really. It's still a rent check. And then again, the Excel spreadsheet just said, again, I'm very simple, right? If some is good, more is better. And I could tell you, owning a five unit building that produces two and a half X the rent that costs 50 grand less, that cash flow is a lot more. So again, some is good, more is better. And we just, we rolled that first one and then the second one and the third one. So uh, the first thing to answer your question is we had property manager. The second one is by year five, we were comfortable being landlords. I don't think I could have bought that five unit building day one as my first purchase because I just would have been run over by the tenants probably and, and the stories and the excuses. But yeah, so we had some skin in the game and some scars and we had lessons learned. And again, it, if I hadn't said this already, it was definitely the wife and I, right? We were in this together, right? One of the stories I often talk about is the eviction we had with our very first rental, which is, which is a story people need to hear, right? So again, I'm 30 or 31 at the time. We buy this first house, which I've talked about twice now. We bought for 107, rented for 1200. We did everything right. Credit checks, reference checks, everything. But the couple got divorced two weeks into moving into my unit. Oh my goodness. The wife took off. Uh, and the husband decided to stop paying his rent because he was angry and upset and to become a professional alcoholic. And he turned one of my living room dr- uh, walls into a holder of empty uh, wine, wine bottles because he just would punch holes in the drywall. Oh, my God. Oh. And in California, it takes a while to get him out, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, here we are, one house, two and a half hours away in a city we had never been to, never stayed the night, still haven't. And... Um, our tenants destroying our house. And because it's California, it takes us 60 days to get them out. He finally gets out. We owe the attorney a thousand bucks. We have $15,000 in repair bills. Thanks to this, you know, event. And, you know, Olivia and I, which is my wife's name, look at each other and go, what do you want to do? And she, I can still remember. She goes, get the next one. 
I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? What are you, I, this is horrible, right? She's like, no, it happens. Get over it, move forward. I'm like, wow. I, I look at back at that now and going, you know, that one event could have kicked us out entirely. And it was 100% Olivia gets the credit for that, for staying in, so. And so is that what you um, counsel people these days to do is start with one a single family home first and then scale the multifamily like you did? Well, again, it's based on who you are and what you want to do, right? As we all know, there's so many avenues to real estate investing and people come at this with different skill sets and backgrounds. I could tell you this, if you come into this business, you have a decent full-time job, nobody in your family's ever talked real estate before, you're kind of the oddball like I was, I strongly suggest seeing if being a landlord is right for you. And the most liquid an available thing today is a single family home, right? You could try it. If that event like I shared happened to you and you're like, ouch, I hate this, I'm out. Getting rid of a single family home is far more, you get, it's more liquid, it's faster, you're, right, you're in and out. So yes, but if you're coming into this, you're sitting on seven figures, you've had some RSU grants and your family's always talked real estate, maybe mom and dad had real estate, you already know what it's like to turn units and you've heard every tenant excuse before, right? Go where the numbers make sense. And if that's multifamily for you, go for it. But that's not everybody, right? So it's hard to answer a question about everybody when everybody's different. We'll get back to our conversation with Michael Zuber in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid like we were that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong experienced teams and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com invest. And now... Back to our chat with Michael Zuber. Well, I want to shift now for a second and talk about, so now that you've gone on this journey to achieve financial freedom, so now what does your life look like now? How is it different from what it was before? That's, uh, it, it's, first off, I'd always plan to be done at 50, right? That was always what I told myself. Events happened um, when I was 45 where, Basically, it came down to a situation where I no longer liked my employer, right? The person, right? My boss. 
And I remember being in a meeting with him, like, this is just not going to work out. I'm going to, this is not healthy. I don't need to be, it was like a five second mindset. I'm like, I, I'm out. Let's work on a package. I'm done. Uh, I texted Olivia, literally walking from the conference room to my desk, which was like 30 feet away saying, I quit. I'm out. I'll see you in 20 minutes. So I've been figuring out because I didn't plan ahead. So that was, that was a mistake on my part, right? Because I'd always thought 50. I loved what I did. I'd have done it for free until this individual got in the way. So yeah, I've been trying to figure it out. So now what I do is, is it's evolving, right? Because I've been out almost two years now. Now what my day looks like is I'm willing to do things to help people until about 1130, right? I get up early still. My body clock just gets up early. I create content on my YouTube channel, but I will not do anything after 1130 unless it's a, an interview with, with somebody I'm looking forward to. So my day with real estate is done by 1130. Then it's all about Olivia and I uh, after that. We go to lunch most days. We might go to dinner a couple of times a week go to the gym for sure in the afternoon. So uh, I really get to control my day. But but for me, I had to find something to throw myself at because I'm kind of a type A person. And that's why I work four to five hours creating content, responding to emails, looking at real estate because we're still growing our portfolio. We're not done. You know, we're, I find ways to teach people we're doing an event uh, on Saturday. So yeah, it's it's the, the, the shortest answer is I get to choose what I want to do. But why not? I mean, now that you've reached financial freedom, right? Like this, that's the dream, right? People like people are like, oh my gosh, this guy's financially free. He doesn't have to work. Why not just sit on a beach, travel the world? You know, like what is it about one rental at a time and what you're doing to inspire others? What is it that drives you to do that? Um, so first off, I'm not that individual. I, I traveled a lot for my day job, literally 100,000 miles a year. And the most stressful thing to me is flying. I'm a horrible flyer, even after doing a million miles, right? Think about that right now. Yeah. I mean, like literally can't sleep. I mean, it's horrible. I'm a horrible flyer. Uh, so I'm not really excited about going anywhere where I need an airplane ever. So I'm a homebody, always have been. But really it comes down to, I give my mom the credit for this is, is, when she was struggling with all that money situation, was in a horrible, horrible relationship, I still saw her trying to help others. And, you know, I've only come to realize this decades later. So if you can, you should help. And, uh, you know, I'm in an environment where uh, I don't, this is what I say now, right? One of my quotes that actually I put my name behind is financial freedom is hard, but a better financial future is easy. And if I can get people just to think about getting to four rentals, just like I tried to do in the beginning, I believe I can make people's financial future better. That's just something I have to do, right? And I'm going to keep doing it until it's no longer fun. And, and so far, I, I enjoy my life, right? Life's about being happy. And I, if I was happy on a beach, believe me, I'd be on a beach. But I, I love talking, for example, this. I've been looking forward to this interview for forever because it makes me happy. And, and hopefully, it inspires one or two people to get going. And there's nothing wrong with that. I love that because like, I feel like the first few properties that you get into is the, is where the mindset shift really starts to happen, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, if you can do, because that's as much as I did in the beginning. I mean, I didn't own a ton of units, but it's like, that's when the mind shift happens. Like, okay, this could be something that I can get more serious about. So I think it's so important that you, you, you know, that you've chosen to focus on just getting them to one to four. We're not talking about doing 200 units or doing, you know, buying a $5 million multifamily property. We're just talking about, let me help you get from one to four and, and see, and see what happens. So I love that. Yeah. Thank cool. you. 
Um, do you want to tell us really briefly a little bit about how and when One Rental at a Time started? I know you have a book. I'm curious to learn a little bit more about what that, how this, how One Rental at a Time came about and, <laughs> and what you do now for that. Yeah. So, uh, so again, I had this event with my boss again, right? I quit basically on the spot. I head home, you know, you, when you do that, you spend two or three days and you're smiling. Right, you calling everybody you know on your phone, going, "I quit, I'm done." <laughs> and I remember, I remember smiling so much, my face hurt. I mean, that's that's how much I was smiling. Uh, but then, kind of, you know, like you wake up the third or fourth day, and it's like, "Well, what am I going to do?" Right? What's this? And I remember reading again, "Rich Dad Poor Dad," and there wasn't anything in that book that really told how. Right? It had a couple of stories. It talked about a single condo, but it didn't tell a true journey. And I'm like, "All right." I'm going to write our story out. So I spent about six weeks just revisiting every year of our story. And, you know, ultimately that came, I don't know, a hundred pages, just kind of blah, written down on paper. You know, then I thought about, okay, what's our strengths? What do we do wrong? What are our mistakes? And ultimately out of that, I shared it with a few people and they, they said, there's a book there somewhere. It wasn't my intention. I just, I wanted to kind of relive how we did it. And that's what is now one rental at a time. It was just featured by Forbes magazine as the number three wow. book. Congratulations. Uh, for real estate. Yeah, it was out of nowhere. I'm like, how'd my book sales jump? Yeah. And then soon enough, somebody sent me the Forbes link, which is really cool. Uh, get it on Amazon. And that's what it is. It's our journey, right? It talks about that first house. It talks about that horrible eviction. It talks about why 1031 exchange. It talked about what happens when banks turn off. That's another thing that all these new investors don't get. You would think having an 800 credit score, a six-figure, two six-figure incomes, uh, a net worth over seven figures, never missing a payment, you can get a loan anywhere, right? Nope, not in 2010. We were laughed out of buildings. Like literally, like, ha, 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 you're a real estate investor, get out of here. What do you do? There are deals everywhere. Yeah. You got to figure out hard money, private money. So we added 100 units during the crash, uh, houses to apartments. And But again, all these people talking about this Burr method and all these other things, you all have plans and assumptions about financing that are dangerous. So you got to have multiple avenues. So we put it all in a book. It's doing okay. It's self-published. I'm happy with it. And then that book led me to think, you know what? I got more to say. And that's where the YouTube channel spawns. So everything I do is one rental at a time. I now do daily content. I average three videos a day. And again, that's because I get it done before 1130 when my day switches to just Olivia and I. So it's a pretty good life. That's awesome. If you were to tell uh, the listeners like the top three values that they could get out of one rental at a time out of the book, what would that be? Number one is it's possible. I wrote the book because I wanted full-time employees to realize if they just did single family homes, they could have a better financial future. I think there's too many people out there just pushing one thing. And I think that's dangerous. So for me, it was, I wanted to see, I wanted to see a full-time employee do it. Cause I never found a book, right? There's like realtors that did it and some money guys that did it, but I was a full-time 60 plus hour. week, traveled the freaking world and I built a portfolio that ultimately had us free. And I shouldn't say I, we built a portfolio uh, that got us both uh, out. So that's number one. Uh, number two is the importance of learning your market and staying focused. There are so many shiny objects in this business. You can move an inch forward on a thousand things and get nowhere. Why did we work? Because we stayed in one market. We learned that market. We know it very well now. And we, we didn't change. 
I still remember we actually visited Texas like in 08 or 07 because we looked at Austin. Because again, this is still, hey, I can't buy that next house in Fresno. What are we going to do? Right. And, you know, if we would have moved to Texas, we would have, I wouldn't be free today, right? Because that's property taxes is different there. And then they reassess every year. And, you know, the property taxes are squeezing that cash flow. And, you know, focus is good. There's nothing wrong with focus. I think, I think having, saying you have 10 properties in 10 states, when I hear that, I think you're an idiot. Because right, yeah. you have no economies of scale, you haven't learned it, you're freaking gambling and you're guaranteeing eventually, yeah, you know, you roll snake eyes and you lose. So yeah, I think yeah. those are the things you'll learn. I love that, that there's, you know, a thousand different things you could do, but if you just move an inch forward on each one, you're never going to get anywhere. And that's what most people are tempted to do is just do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But if you just pick one thing and there's, out of those thousand things, there are people making money on each of those thousand things. And if you just pick one and commit to it, you'll see that success. Absolutely. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. That, and I feel like that's so much of like what we've done, you know, in, in our personal investing lives as well is, you know, when I started off, I just looked at like everything that I could possibly do within real estate. And I took a hard look at everything. I even dabbled in a little bit of it just to try it on for size, you know? So just like you said, buying that single family home just to see, you know, what happens and how you feel. Do you like being a landlord? I did, you know, hard money lending. I, you know, looked at doing short-term rentals and I looked really hard, like to the point where I, I really understood how the business worked so that I could then make the decision, okay, I know. So when I discovered multifamily and passive syndications, I knew that yeah, moment. That that's your was, thing. That's yep. it. Yep. I knew. And so going through that process of like, you know, really evaluating in the beginning and taking a hard look. And then, like you said, just choosing something to focus on and then just going full force on that is how I think you're just going to find, you know, the success um, faster. So I love that you said that. Couldn't agree more. Cool. So we're going to switch gears a little bit and move into our investing for good impact round. You ready? I, I'm ready. I'm a little nervous. Let's do it. All right. Um, so um, the first question is, what is the one thing that you're doing right now to create a better life for yourself and your family? Uh, what is, uh, well, we're still adding to our um, real estate portfolio. Right. A lot of people think when you get to financial freedom, you just kind of sit there and do nothing. We've added 15 doors this year. Uh, I think we're going into uh, a real a, a downturn. So we're adding a skill set uh, called subject to and wraps and things of that nature, uh, because I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities to do to acquire more properties uh, in the upcoming future. Uh, so we're not done growing. Right. Just because you get to a goal doesn't mean you stop. And uh, we're, we're still adding to our portfolio. Love that. What's the one hack that you can share with our audience right now that will have a significant impact on their, you know, investing career or on their life? Like one kind of secret thing that you've done that maybe not a lot of people know about that could catapult their success in investing. Uh, I believe that again, just off the top of my head, because I didn't get these questions ahead of time, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> is the ability to compare deals. Uh, so one of the things that I've used the last 15 years is a very simple spreadsheet. I call it yield. Some people call it cash on cash. But I basically can take a condo and compare it with a 20-unit apartment building, which is the biggest we own. And basically what it does is it, it's two numbers, right? The denominator is what is my out-of-pocket cash to make this asset work? So yes, down payment. Yes, closing costs. But also, what is my expected make ready, right? Because sometimes I buy turnkey. Sometimes I buy junk. 
right? I'm trying to figure out how hard I can make all of my cash work. And then the numerator is your expected yearly cash flow, net of all expenses. Basically, how do I compare my deals? I throw everything in that spreadsheet and whatever the higher number is. If a studio condo is better than a 20-unit building, I buy the studio condo. And if the 20-unit apartment's built is better, I buy the 20-unit building. Most people get all confused. Oh, you got to do gross rate multiplier, and then you got to use cap rates over here. And, and they just like confuse themselves. And then you can't compare a watermelon with a bicycle. And how do you do that? So uh, that's what I do. Everything's simple. Every, everything goes in the same spreadsheet. I love that. I love that. Um, I think when I first got into being more serious about real estate, that was also something that I did is it was all about that bottom line. Like if something made me more money over here, but it wasn't what I was looking at, then I'm just going to go right here. And that was, you know, what led me to be where I'm at today. And, you know, just focusing on that, you know, that bottom line is always so key and not getting distracted by all these other things. Other numbers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What's the one thing that you're doing right now to make the world a better place? Uh, well, I'm doing the best I can to inspire people to have a better financial future. Uh, and I'm, I'm spreading the word of one rental at a time is okay. I know it's slow. I know it's not sexy. It doesn't look good on social media. But if you want to have a better financial future, there are very few things that one rental at a time doesn't work for. You can have a better future. If you do one a year, one every two years, and you stop at four, I promise you'll have a better financial future, assuming conservative financing and you know, you're not getting taken advantage of and all of that. But I think if everybody took a little control the next four or five years and just tried to have a better future, one rental at a time will work. So again, the book, the YouTube channel, I work on it every day. That's what I'm doing. And tell us really quick about the hub. How did that come about? <laughs> what does it do for people? Because I think that's so central to making the world a better place. Like that is amazing. <laughs> so tell thank us you, about thank that. You. The hub is, is an office building that I, uh, I bought and own in Fresno. Uh, but basically the idea came from is I believe real estate investing is a people business. It's not about the bricks and concrete and sticks. It's people, real estate agents and brokers and tenants and sellers and buyers and all of this stuff. and. I wanted to create some roots in Fresno where I could staff a building with real estate entrepreneurs. So nobody is my employee. They're all independent companies, but I have real estate agents and general contractors and wholesalers and flippers and Airbnb is in there because I believe if we can create an atmosphere that we all work together, we market and we attract sellers and buyers and private money and we become known as that, we can help lots and lots of people. So off of that, the hub is sponsoring a four-hour training event this, this weekend, which we'll likely do monthly. No charge. We don't charge for anything for wholesaling, for flipping and buy and hold. Uh, we're having an open house Saturday just to really announce it. And again, the whole idea is that I want to be there for 50 years and I want to become known as a spot that will help everyone, whether you're selling, buying, private investing, you're in for, because again, we'll go through a foreclosure crisis again or short sale, or I just want to have that spot. Because too many people are off by themselves doing their thing. So I, I thought if we can create one, one hub, hence the name, uh, we can create momentum and become a force uh, in Fresno for good. That's, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. That is that. so cool. I love that. It's all about the community, right? 
Yeah, yes, because like absolutely. you said, financial freedom is hard, but yes, is. building a better financial future is easy, especially when you do it together with other people. Very well said, Annie. All right, Michael. Well, tell the listeners where they can go to learn more about you and One Rental at a Time. Yeah. So if you want to, the best way to get a hold or follow me is go to YouTube, type in One Rental at a Time, hit that subscribe button. We're up to like 3,500 subscribers, so it's growing quite nicely. Check me out. You'll see daily content from me. Uh, you actually, if you look it up, you'll see Julie's interview, which was probably two months ago, maybe two and a half months ago. So check that one out for sure. Uh, we got to get Annie on next. That's, that's what we got to do. Uh, and then go to Amazon and uh, do me a favor and buy the book, One Rental at a Time. Love it. There it is. There it <laughs> is. Well, Michael Zuber, One Rental at a Time. Thank you so much for joining us today, Michael. Thank you. You've been listening to Investing for Good, the number one podcast for people like you who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com slash podcast, and be sure to join the Investing for Good Facebook community. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations every week. Until next time, keep investing for good.